right, if you would open up your Bible and join me, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark chapter 10, um, beginning at verse 32. Let me pray for us as we begin and as you look that up. Lord, Lord Jesus, I just, I thank and praise you. As, as we learned last weekend as, as students and adult leaders, and as we learn each and every week as we come together, you are as close to us, even closer to us than the air we breathe. And so we just pray that, that we would have an awareness of your presence as we open up your word. These are not just words on a page, uh, but that your spirit is unlocking your truth uh, to instill in us what it is that we need to hear to draw closer to you. And I pray that my words uh, just further illuminate your words and your wisdom, that we might leave this place closer to you than when we came. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I, I shared, I think I shared this story maybe one time some years ago. My wife, Alyssa, and I, we, when we had first started dating, we spent some time in college in Milwaukee. We we're both at two different schools, same city. And so I saved up my money. We had not been dating very long. And I wanted to take her out to a really fancy restaurant on the North Shore. And I was really, really excited. And if I'm completely honest, I was excited not just to take her out, but I was excited about the food because I like food. And I was, I was hungry. And so anyway, we, we made reservations. And I remember I ordered the, the pork chop that day. And of course, it came with a side of mashed potatoes. And I imagined this side of mashed potatoes to be this big pile of mashed potatoes with melting butter and, and, and you know, all the things. And, and, and I really like mashed potatoes, and I was excited, and I was hungry. I remember thinking about them before they came, and they put the plate down in front of me, and they looked perfect. They actually looked almost too perfect. And so I took a bite, and as I tasted them, I thought, there's something different about these. And I asked the waiter, I said, are these boxed potatoes? And they went back to the chef, and sure enough, they were boxed potatoes. Now, some of you are offended, and some of you are like, what's wrong with boxed potatoes, right? Like, like there's nothing wrong with boxed potatoes. But when you're sitting with your new girlfriend, and you've saved your money for weeks and weeks, and you had to make reservations, and you order the pork chop, and it's really expensive, you want the real thing. And, and I remember reading some years later, that restaurant actually went out of business. And I can't prove it, but I'm pretty positive it has something to do with the potatoes. I, I'm sure they must have been pulling that a lot. But, but, but just like I knew what I wanted when I went into that restaurant, my hunch is that you knew what you wanted when you came into church today from God. You may know what you want from God when you pray or when you come before God's word. You have expectations. We all do. We all have expectations. And so I want to begin and I want to ask this question throughout our time in God's word together. I want you to think about what do you want from Jesus? What do you want from Jesus? I remember an article I read is about five years ago now. And so this is dated already. It said that the 84% of the world's population identifies with some 
religious group. And what we see, despite what it looks like on the outside culturally in North America and Europe especially, the world seems to be getting more, not less, religious. In China, for example, and again, this is like at least five years now, but it's been going on for decades, some predict that they are going to have the largest Christian population by the year 2030 of any other country. Um, One study that I read said that Protestant Christianity has been growing in China by 10% annually since 1979. And so that's, that's extremely remarkable. And even in places like the United States where uh, post-religion and faith and church is all the rage right now, the majority of people, if you talk to them, they will still tell you that they, pr- they profess some sort of faith. I was with two different gatherings of, of church leaders in the last month, one in Walworth County and one up in Milwaukee. And one thing I heard in both settings was pastors in their communities that are hearing from people outside the church that are interested in God, that are interested in faith, that are interested in religion, even as church seems to be changing and dividing and all of that, people are still faithful. They still want God in their life. They sense God in their life. And so it brings me back to the question, what do you want from that relationship? What do you want from Jesus? What are our expectations as we've come to church today? Because it's good to know what those things are so that we can compare them to what Jesus actually says he came to bring us in his word. And that brings us into the second week of the season we're calling Lent. The church calls Lent. Um, This season is what leads us with Jesus to Jerusalem and Holy Week. And Holy Week begins with Palm Sunday. And there's going to be crowds as just a few weeks from now that are waving palm branches on that day. And they're yelling, Hosanna, save us. And they're calling Jesus to become their king. And that then just day Days later, there's a different crowd that gathers, and instead of yelling out to him as their king or to save us, they called out to Jesus and they said, crucify him. Same thing, just a few days later. And it brings me back to my question, what do you want from Jesus? Sometimes we don't know, sometimes they didn't know. And we don't have to wait until we get there. I'm getting ahead of myself uh, to grapple with this question. Last week, Julie Thomas uh, did an exceptional job. I was able to worship online and um, really great. If you weren't in church, go back and catch up and listen. As she took us through just before this reading in Mark chapter 10, the story of the rich young ruler. And, and, and if you don't know that story, he knew what he wanted. He wanted eternal life. That's what he would answer the question from Jesus as. And, and Jesus came to bring that to him and bring it to everyone, but not in the way that he expected. This man had earned everything that he had to his name on his own, and he couldn't earn that. He couldn't earn the thing that he wanted from Jesus. He actually had to let go of everything that he earned so his hands would be free to take hold of the one thing he couldn't earn. And it was the same thing Jesus came to bring for him and for the world. And he wasn't ready to let it go. And so he walked away sad, says 
the scriptures. And so that just happened. It's the same setting. And and so we continue on here in our reading today. And and Jesus is going to begin here with the third instance in Mark's gospel of sharing with the disciples very plainly, very simply, this is where this is going. This is what I have come to do. And so take a look at verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. And again, he took the 12 aside and he told them what was going to happen to him. Verse 33, we are going up to Jerusalem, Jesus said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Now, if you haven't picked up on, you can see it uh, expressed very clearly here. In this whole scene, and really all of the Gospel of Mark, there seems to be two different groups of people. There are people that are like predisposed to understanding deeply what Jesus has come to bring and what he's talking about and his teachings and how to ask and all of that. And then you've got people who just don't get it. And you can see that in, in the mix of the people that are following Jesus. You've got disciples that are astonished, and then you've got crowds that are afraid. And what follows is a question that Jesus is going to ask two different times. He's going to first ask it to two of the disciples, James and John, and then later he's going to ask it to a blind man named Bartimaeus. And the question is this. He's going to say, what do you want me to do for you? This is where I get my question for you. What do you want from Jesus? Because Jesus is going to ask each of them that same question. The first time he does it, it goes like this. This, James and John, sons of Zebedee, come to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want from Jesus? In this case, these two want a blank check. (laughs) Okay, and here's here's what it reminded me of. It reminded has anybody seen the movie Yes Day? Show of hands or read the book? It started out as a book. A whole bunch of you have. In the first service, we had a family sitting in the middle there. All the kids raised their hands, and the parents didn't want to own it. You want to know why? Because if you've read the book or you've seen the movie, the whole premise it's very simple. It's parents giving their kids an opportunity for an entire day that they can ask whatever they want, and their parents have to say yes. Does that sound like a really good idea? (laughs) Even if you haven't seen the movie, I found the trailer. The trailer will give you everything you need to know. Let's watch. If there's one thing I've learned from being a mom, it's that parents and kids always disagree on one thing. No, no, no. Rules. But saying no 50 times an hour? No. Absolutely not. Nope on a rope. It's part of the job. All of that is about to change. Have you heard about yesterday? It's this new thing where parents say yes to everything their kids ask for for 24 hours. Radical! How am I just hearing about this? Well, yesterdays are like fun, and mom and dad are like fun killers. We are plenty fun. We used to say yes to everything. We can be fun again. Really? Let's do this! Arriba! It's yesterday! Who's ready for yesterday? wants to do your hair and makeup. I have a vision. Yes. I'm glad you're using your, your watercolors. Windows down! What? what do we do? One word, two letters, and oh. Windows down! 
I'm not always a fun killer. There's no way you guys are going to make it throughout the whole day. Ooh, you okay, Daddy? <laughs> That's all you need to see, right? <laughs> you, you don't even need to watch the whole movie to know that saying yes to everything is probably not always the best thing. So, so this is what's in my mind, and we watched it a couple years ago. I must have fallen asleep through the whole thing, so I made my family watch it again last night. Uh, good movie, but this is what's in my head as I'm reading the passage this week, James and John. But, and before we judge them too harshly, I just want to acknowledge, and I kind of said this before, we've all done the same thing, right? We've all come before God and asked, maybe not for a blank check, but, but we, we know in our minds what we think the best outcome in a situation might be. We, we, always have, we almost always have an idea of what's best. When I'm praying for somebody who's sick, for example, I know what I want God to do. And there's not necessarily a bad thing about that. Jesus tells us to come before him and ask and seek and knock, and, and he does as much here. He, he, he's like, no, let's get specific here. What are you looking for? In verse 36, he says, what do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. And they replied, I'll give you specifics. He says, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Now, this doesn't have to be over-spiritualized. They want to be mom and dad. Uh, they think Jesus is going to be king. They want to be the vice president and the chief of staff. <laughs> now, you might wonder, why is that such a problem? Shouldn't we all want to be as close to Jesus as possible? Well, the difference here, and the reason this is an issue, is they don't actually really want Jesus in that moment at all. They want power. And I'm not suggesting that they don't want Jesus too. But if they can sit in those seats in his glory, then instead of needing Jesus to take care of them, they'll have their own power to take care of themselves. You see, it's just like the rich young ruler, right? I want eternal life, but I want to pay for it. I want to buy it. I want to earn it. I want to get my own salvation. And friends, that would be really great, except that isn't the way that it works. Jesus explains that in verse 38. He says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink from the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Now, Mark has, has already made it clear that Jesus has communicated this multiple times. He is going to Jerusalem. And what's going to happen in Jerusalem is the cross. And everything that's leading up to the cross is what's going to happen. And he's told them this not once, but he's told them this three times. And so now Jesus is asking, do you really want a seat in that administration? Do you really want to be following me as we go to where I've told you very clearly I'm going? And clearly they're not fully processing it because they just immediately answer, we can. We can do this. We will go with you, they answered. And it turns out they actually will. But they have no clue what that actually means. Second part of verse 39, Jesus says, you will drink from the cup that I drink. And you will be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left, that's not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Now, if you feel like this interaction seems awkward 
or even offensive, you're not alone. The other ten disciples were offended when they heard about it. Verse 41 says, when the ten heard about it, they became indignant with James and John. And I think the reason that they were upset was not because James and John were being offensive to Jesus or missing the mark. They were upset because they were afraid that the VP and the chief of staff spot were already taken. (laughs) They wanted those spots first. And so they were upset with these two disciples for beating them to the punch, which brings me back to the question I started with at the beginning. What do you want from Jesus? What do you want from Jesus. They wanted the same thing, these disciples, that James and John wanted. And James and John wanted the same thing the rich young ruler wanted. And it's the same thing that you and I want. We want God's glory. We want the gifts. When you come before God, you're probably looking for something related to peace or comfort or presence or joy or protection or provision. And and friends, Jesus said that he came to bring those things. In the Gospel of John, he says this. he He says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I, Jesus, came that they may have life and have it, say it with me, abundantly. What we don't realize, we all want that. We don't realize, and what frankly we don't even want most of the time, is the road that it's going to take to get us to that place, that abundant life that Jesus came to bring. And that's what he's describing. Verse 42, Jesus called them together again, and he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers over the Gentiles, this is what you want, guys. This is what you're asking. Let me tell you, this is what they do. They lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, Jesus says, to participate in my glory, you have to participate in my suffering, in his cup, in his cross. At its most basic level, what this means is to take your answer to that question, what do you want from Jesus? What do you need from God Not ignore those things, but surrender those things to God the Father and what he has determined is the best path to get them. And that's what we're going to see next. Because, see, we're going to have this question asked twice. The question, what do you want me to do for you? The first one was James and John. The second one comes here in verse 46. They came to Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man named Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Have you ever been in a public place 
where somebody is being obnoxiously loud. Maybe it's Walmart and their children involved. Like, have you ever been there? Alyssa and I, when we were dating, probably around the time of the mashed potato situation, right? Before we had kids, like we'd go shopping, we'd go somewhere, and, and somebody would have kids, and they'd be loud and obnoxious, and we'd go, oh my goodness, those parents, right? Because we knew everything. And then we had kids, and they were the loud and obnoxious ones. And then we had more kids, and we became the loud and obnoxious ones as the parents, right? So, so you've been there. Maybe you've been the subject of it. Maybe you've been in the aisle over. You get it. That's what's going on here with Bartimaeus. These people, he starts screaming. He's an embarrassment. They're feeling awkward. And so they're like, dude, be quiet. Stop talking, blind man. The king doesn't have time for you. And here's what happens next. He shouted all the more. He's obnoxious. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped, verse 49, and said, call him. Now this reminds me about a month ago, if you remember that story of the woman, right, that reached out and touched Jesus cloak and he says who touched me right same thing oh my goodness but look at the way the crowd has changed in this moment one second they're telling him to be quiet and as soon as Jesus wants to know who he is they turn and they said call him Jesus said call him and so they called the blind man and they said cheer up they were just telling him to be quiet (laughs) cheer up come on get up on your feet he's calling you Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. Now, Jesus is going to ask him same question that he asked James and, and John. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. I want to see. Notice the differences between these two situations. James and John perceived themselves to be in a position of honor with Jesus. They got an in. They know a guy. And that was a big deal. In this particular cultural historical moment where all of Jerusalem is about to cry out to him to become their king. And so you've got them, James and John, that want to find that power and authority that way. And then you've got a blind beggar, Bartimaeus, an embarrassment to society. A man who even made strangers cringe in awkwardness and humiliation. And he's screaming. And they're telling him, be quiet. If Jesus meets you, he might not want to save us. That's how they're feeling. They don't want him even to be seen. And yet to this man, Bartimaeus, Jesus says to him, go. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. The ones who had an in, they didn't get it. But the guy who had nothing, he was healed. And that brings me back to the question I asked you to think about at the very beginning. Which one are you? What do you want from Jesus? What do you want? What did you come into church today needing that only God can give? It's not going to be long before We're in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And so I want to show you a clip of a video that listens to what Bartimaeus may have felt like on that future day after his encounter with Jesus as he sees these crowds coming around Jesus who have no idea what Jesus had come to bring. 
Let's watch. You first have to understand the noise, the, the crowd. I could hear that they were close onto the road, and, and not just because I had great hearing to make up for my blind eyes. I mean, this was a roar. People cheering and clapping and singing. As I got closer, I, I, I tried to listen as carefully as I could, see if I could make out what they were saying. I knew that they were coming my way. See, some of us sat by the main gates where most of the people would come and go. I know people by how they walk, whether they drag their feet or not. And every day I just sat there waited for mercy, but I, all I could do was listen. Suddenly I realized that they cheered for him. Some grumbled even speaking his name. Others said he was the Messiah, but a handful of them had, had witnessed him healing people. I crawled closer to the road, afraid that I might be trampled. I, mean, I could hear that there were a lot of people coming. Is that him? Is that the teacher? Anyone tell me? Is it him? And someone said, yes, it was Jesus. And to this day, I, I can't explain it, but I just yelled. I yelled louder than I had ever yelled. Son of David, have mercy on me. He heard me and he, he came over where I was and asked what I wanted to see. And then everything I had always hoped to lay my eyes on was there before me. I followed him that day and the next day and the next day. What amazed me was it seemed like the people that could see the best were the most blind. As for who I say he is, one day I was yelling for him to heal me. And now, here we are in Jerusalem, yelling to all those who have ears to hear that he is Hosanna in the highest. He is the Messiah. That one line that he says, it seemed like the people that could see the best were the most blinded. What do you want from Jesus? Whatever it is, we know at this point 
kind of people that Jesus came to save. He didn't come to make the proud prouder, the strong stronger. That's boxed potatoes. The real thing he came to bring was mercy to the weak, raise the dead to life. So my encouragement to you and my encouragement to myself this morning and every day is to pray like Bartimaeus because we are all like him. None of us can see. The Apostle Paul describes it this way in his letter to the church in Corinth. He says, we don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist, but it won't be long Before the weather clears and the sun shines bright, we'll see it all then. We'll see it all as clearly as God sees us. We'll see it as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly just as he knows us. Ask the God who knows you for mercy to make you see where you're blind that you might see so that when you die, you might live. Amen.